We started Hope School this past September with 120 students, which by October was 180 students. So we have a great group of teachers. We have more than 30 locals, as well as six foreign teachers. In addition to the teachers, we have some great support staff at the school. One of them, whose name is Joy, she is from a social class of people here. They're maintenance people, they're janitors, housekeepers, they're often taken and abused and you see this people group with their head down because they're managed by fear and they're routinely beaten. And Joy herself had been human trafficked to this city. I came here as a Muslim and racism is, I would say, of the highest level here. They believe that we are like slaves. We don't have equal rights with the citizens. And sometimes it's really sad and painful that they treat you as if you are not a human. When we started the school, we thought, how can we be a light in the midst of that? And it was Carrie's idea, we should bring them in, but not just give jobs doing maintenance and cleaning, but let's call it the guest services team. Give them training of how to engage with everyone that walks through the door who we believe has a unique God-given identity and greet them by name. So this has elevated them to a role of dignity. Yeah, I feel like there's, you know, you pick your battles sometimes and this is one I'm willing to fight for. My role at the school is to lead the hospitality team. We represent how we bring joy to the kids, how we make them happy, how we bring joy to people around us. This people group has the darkest skin color, so when parents come and drop their kids off, they know, oh, this is not the normal color of a person uh, that should be greeting my kids. And so everyone that's driving by on the street sees that we have elevated this group of people and that's who we stand for as a school. They see themselves as a group of now 12 as a missionary team. And that's not why they came to this country. They came to this country to work, to send money back to where their families are living, but God has called them as a missionary team. And someone will say that we are the perfume of hope. We bring light and joy. The school is really a wonderful place because not just the kids coming there to learn, even the adults, they come there to learn. Because I have seen this school transform even some of the locals in this place to becoming better people. They have seen what the school represents, which is hope, not just for the kids, but for everyone that walks through the gate. My dream for Hope School to produce leaders of tomorrow 
that in the nearest future this be a nation one for Christ and secondly this racism will be gone and I always say no matter the persecution I will continue to follow him because in him I am safe in him I have comfort in him I have peace and in him I have joy Last week, we introduced uh, to all of you our Advent ministry partner, um, our Serve the World partner. And each December, as a church, uh, we select a, a, a local or global partner that we, want, that we believe is making the gospel just tangible and that we want to come alongside to support a, a project or something that is going on there. And Hope School is this year project. If you heard us uh, last week... Um, Doug and Carrie are in a, a country in Africa that is um, um, war-torn, and we, we, we even have to be kind of careful what we say in, in public settings. Nothing can live online because of the sensitivity of what they're doing. And despite all those challenges and all those circumstances, God is moving in these incredibly powerful ways to establish, they started with like hope clubs and hope groups and now hope school. Um, they were donated a, uh, by a Muslim man in their community, a facility of 85,000 square feet to start this school because he could see what was happening and said, I, I want to support this. Our goal this Advent season across all four Chapel Street Church campuses is to raise $500,000 um, to create the space in there. That is an audacious goal. We, we understand that, but God is up to something here, and, and we want to be involved in it. And so this Christmas season, if you are able um, to help support this, if you're able to, to give to or serve the world, um, you can do that online, you can do that on our app, you can do that in person. Just make sure that you designate those funds um, as a serve the world gift, and it'll go towards this project towards that goal of, of $500,000. Um, and, and we just look forward to seeing the way that, that God moves among his people in generosity and the way that he continues um, the story that, that is unfolding there. When she said that phrase, the perfume of hope, you just like that, you, you got it. Like, and and uh, enjoy. I wish we had time for you to hear her full story because it is incredible and and we would fall down in worship because it just God has moved in such powerful ways and is continuing to do that so we thank you uh in advance for for being a part of that um we're going to continue in our our series this morning entitled the spirit of of Christmas and I don't know if you've ever experienced this in in your life but there's a, a phenomenon that sometimes happens like one of the ways I've seen it is if you, um, if you buy a, a new car, all of a sudden when you're driving around, you notice how many other people own that car. Have you ever experienced that? Um, like when Sherry and I were, uh, first had a kid, uh, our daughter Emma, uh, wasn't just any kid, she had a name, I don't know why, I, 
and um, and we wanted to kind of upgrade, and so, but we weren't ready to go full minivan life. So we bought like a, a Jeep Cherokee. We wanted to like SUV. We wanted to be the cool parents, right? And everywhere you looked, like you saw Jeeps after that. And not only do you see Jeeps, but Jeep people have this thing like where we need to acknowledge each other when we're at like a stop sign or something. So if you're in a Jeep and you see somebody else in a Jeep, it's expected of you that you kind of go, like, like nod at each other. You, maybe, anybody, I don't know if you guys, are, it's, it's like, so at first it's sort of like, wow, there's Jeeps everywhere. And then all of a sudden it's like, I need to greet all of these people all the time. And it's not as if, it's actually the, a name of this, this effect. It sometimes it's called the frequency illusion. Um, psychologically, it's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's, it, it's this, there's not more of these out there. It's that my awareness has changed, right? It's now that I have this, this tangible experience with it, I see it everywhere. And I'll tell you, I had a similar experience as I was preparing for this Advent series. This idea of the spirit of Christmas, what we're looking at, not, not a sense of like the spirit of Christmas and this uh, general feeling of goodwill that we get this time of year where we're trying to be slightly nicer to each other and overlook like road rage and that sort of thing, but meaning the role of the Holy Spirit in the miracle of the incarnation. So earlier this fall, um, I had the opportunity to take the, the Mill Creek staff away for just a day of like reflection and preparation. We knew Advent season was coming. We knew live nativity was coming. We were going to be busy and it was going to be a time that was full of activity. And we wanted to just kind of withdraw from our regular routine and spend time just focused on, on, the, on Advent, on the incarnation. Like there, there's an occupational hazard sometimes in ministry where your mind and heart can be so directed at kind of like what's coming up for everybody that you fail to sort of enter into it yourself. And I didn't want to do that. So we, we drove up to Wisconsin for the day. We got um, away in, in wilderness and there was like a, a designated time to just go out and sit and, and read the first couple chapters of Luke. Read the first couple chapters of Matthew. Go back and, and take in some of the Old Testament prophecies and, and John chapter 1. And, and I'll tell you, I had in mind, because I knew Jeff had sort of had this idea of the spirit of Christmas. And so I had, I had uh, at the forefront of my thought, the role of the Holy Spirit in the coming of Christ. And then I'm reading these passages and it's, he's everywhere. Right? It's like everywhere I look, I saw the Holy Spirit. More often than not, when I read these passages, my mind is kind of focused on Jesus. Like, Jesus is coming, right? But then I started reading this, and I'm like, every other verse seemed like it was mentioning the Holy Spirit. I began to recognize and acknowledge the role that he was playing in, in the arrival of, of Jesus in the flesh. And certainly, this is the case when we look at the events surrounding the birth of, of John the Baptist, who was born with the specific purpose of preparing God's people for the arrival of the Messiah. To prepare God's people for this proclamation that Jesus was going to make that his kingdom was here. If you think back to, to last week and 
in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is, is prophesying, he uses this, this metaphor uh, for the people of God. He, he depicts them in, in, in the first few chapters of Isaiah as this, this forest, this dense forest. And by Isaiah chapter 10, when he's talking about the Assyrians coming in and enacting judgment on, on God's people, the picture of this forest is one of desolation. In fact, it's like it's just stumps as, as far as the eye can see. Everything has been cut down. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, there's this glimmer of hope. The prophet writes this, he says, A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And now as we fast forward to, to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see the ground starting to break as this shoot of of hope begins to emerge. 700 years after this promise of hope was given, there's a branch starting to break forth. And the ground is starting to crack. And God is preparing the way. And as He prepares the way, He's going to send John the Baptist to ready the people of God. And John, in his ministry... He is going to be equipped and prepared and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, you see this kind of this cadence that goes back and forth between uh, the events surrounding John the Baptist and then news about the arrival of, of Jesus. And in Luke 1, there's kind of three movements as it relates to, to news regarding John the Baptist. And in each of these movements, there's a, a phrase that gets used every time. Someone was filled with the Holy Spirit each and every time. So that's where we're going to begin. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. This is Gabriel telling uh, uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, that, that they're going to have a son. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abha's division named Zechariah. His wife was, the daughters of, was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. So that description, right? These are people who are living faithful relationships. They're not perfect people, but they're living faithfully to, to Yahweh, to his covenant. It says, but in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of the Lord, at, at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of, of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. See, in this first movement as, as, uh, uh, regarding John the Baptist, we see a spirit-filled announcement. A spirit-filled announcement. I had a, uh, a ninth grade English teacher uh, by the name of Mr. Kurtz. Now, English as a subject matter was like my least favorite. Like, I, you may have picked up on that from time to time. Like, and and I, like, I was a science guy, math guy, I liked those, but it just never grammar and all that. But, but he was the kind of teacher who had such passion for his subject matter that it sort of, even if you kind of came in skeptical, like, he, he got you excited about it. And I remember Mr. Kurtz teaching me how to understand narrative. And he said there's, there's key things that you can look for. In fact, I can still remember him standing in front of the classroom saying repeatedly that the key to understanding, repetition is the key to understanding. Repetition is the key to understanding. Like if you're looking for themes that are repeated in the literature, and that's like a key uh, tool in hermeneutics, right? Like you look for when scripture is repeating itself, there's something there. And one of the other things that he taught us is you look for the way authors use characters. Like it, sometimes the author will plant a character in a scene and whenever that character shows up, right, whether it be a hero or a villain, you know this scene, something's happening here. Something's about to unfold. The story is advancing. Now, if, if you were a, a first century Jewish man or woman who had grown up your whole life being taught the, the law and the prophets, you were, you were uh, the, the Torah was ingrained in you from as early as you can remember, you would understand when we read Luke chapter 1 that the story is advancing. Like something is unfolding here. God is advancing the grand redemptive narrative. And there's two things I think that would have jumped off the page at you, that would have indicated to you that God is, is up to something here. He's at work here. First is you would have noticed that, that once again, God is choosing to use a couple who has been unable to have children, and now they miraculously become pregnant. So your brain would start to go to somebody like, like Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah praise that God would enable her to have a child. She becomes pregnant with her son Samuel and she immediately dedicates him to, to service in the Lord. Samuel becomes the prophet that goes to Jesse's home. And he looks at David and he says, this is God's chosen king for the people of instrument. Samuel becomes, uh, uh, for the people of Israel, Samuel becomes an instrument in the covenantal work of God among his people. Right? You, can, you read that story and you saw how God used him to advance the grand redemptive narrative. Or you would think of Samson. In fact, if you turn to Judges 13, you, you'll see here just a very similar tone here. This is Judges 13, uh, verse 3 now. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, Samson's mom, and said to her, It's true that you're unable to conceive and have no children. But you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now please be careful not to drink wine or beer or eat anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. 
And you must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite, a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. So you can you hear, you echo some of the same language that's used in John chapter 1, or in uh, Luke chapter 1, referring to John, here when, when Samson is born. And, and notice the, the, the purpose that's laid on Samson's life. He will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. God is, he is preserving his covenant people. And he's doing so in miraculous fashion by enabling this barren family to become pregnant. And you can see the grand redemptive narrative advance. And of course, there's Isaac in Genesis chapter 17, where God provides a son and in faithfulness to his covenant promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a family. And out of that family, the entire world was going to be blessed. And there were old and without a child and they saw no path in which this promise was going to be kept but god worked supernaturally and so you're hearing this you're hearing this story and you're immediately thinking he's doing it again he's doing the thing that he does like he's working to move for our advantage for our salvation You see it happening, and there's a second thing then that emerges here. Look again at verse 15 in in Luke 1. The second part of this verse, it says of this baby that's going to be born, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Again, now there's a character that comes into the scene that for you is an indication that something is happening here. Right? When, when the Holy Spirit would come on somebody in the Old Testament, it would be in very specific and purposeful times. Moments when God was working again for His covenantal purpose. As one commentator put it, he said, thus to say that, that God's Spirit was upon someone became almost a code phrase for saying that the person was acting out of a capacity which was more than merely human. That was um, John Oswald in his commentary in Isaiah. So again, we see this. In the life of Samson, we see it in King Saul and King David. We see it used of, of prophets and judges. We see it when ordinary men and women are going about their day and the Holy Spirit comes on them. And when it does so, it is to advance God's saving plan. And now all of a sudden, here in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel shows up to speak to Zechariah, to tell him that God is doing it again. That God is going to give them a son. Elizabeth is going to become pregnant despite her age and her inability to have children. And it says of this child that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. To borrow C.S. Lewis's language in the Chronicles, right? Aslan is on the move. Just as Zechariah and Elizabeth waited their entire lives in the hopes of having a child, so also the people of Israel have waited 700 years for the promise of that, that hope spoken of in Isaiah chapter 11. That a shoot will, will come from the stump of Jesse. And they experienced God in the waiting. Right? God met them in the waiting. 
But now you're hearing this and your mind is like on fire with the knowledge and the awareness that something significant is happening. In fact, God is is sending someone whose very purpose, it says in verse 17, is to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This leads to this this second movement in in Luke 1. And and this is defined by a spirit-filled joy. A spirit-filled joy. I, um, I don't know, like, one of the things I like about the Advent season, Christmas season, is like Christmas commercials. Does anybody know the longest running commercial, really, in advertising history? Little bells? No, it's a Folgers commercial called Peter Comes Home. It ran from 1985 to 1998 consecutively. If you remember, I got a picture of it there, yeah. It's this scene where this uh, adult son arrives at home early on Christmas morning. His, his uh, sister, who's much younger than him, hears him enter the house and comes down to greet him. And it's clear that they're not expecting him to be home. And he decides to wake up mom and dad by brewing Folgers, right? <laughs> like, you couldn't have brought some Starbucks, Peter? Like, um, and, and the thing that you, I love about this commercial and the, the thing that it reflects, right, is a response to presence. Like the mom and dad come, ho- uh, come home and when she sees her son, she has this, this uh, response of just joy that, that her family's going to be united on Christmas morning. Now look at this in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, picking it up now in verse 39. It says, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house. So in between here, Mary has been informed that she is going to bear the Messiah, the the, uh, the, the long-awaited Savior of Israel. And so she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Verse 40, when she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, The baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby uh, leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has, deliver, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. You see this, again, there's that phrase, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this encounter between Elizabeth and Mary is, is in the role of the Holy Spirit herein is, is about identity and worship. It, it helps us understand what the Holy Spirit is doing all along what his purpose is, and that is to direct us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus. I think one of the reasons that we so frequently read the incarnation story and we don't recognize the Holy Spirit in it is because the Holy Spirit is constantly redirecting us to Jesus. What is it that the Holy Spirit enables Elizabeth to do when she is present with Mary and and Mary's unborn child? Look again, verse, verse 42. 
She exclaimed in a, with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is, this is the first proclamation that we have of another human being recognizing the identity of Jesus. The mother of my Lord has, has come to me. And this recognition, notice this, is not only on the part of Elizabeth, right? Her unborn son, John the Baptist, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, right, recognizes and acknowledges the presence of the Messiah from womb to womb. Verse 44, for you see when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Right? This is in utero worship here. Unborn John is in the presence of unborn Jesus, and, and he responds in joy. It's the Holy Spirit that enables Elizabeth and the child that she is carrying to know that they are in the presence of the Messiah. And their response is, is one of worship and of joy. By the way, as a side note, one of the fundamental roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives as, as followers of Jesus, right, is to affirm our identity in Christ. Like he's still doing this identification work in us, right? He's still doing the work of pointing us to Jesus. Remember it's when we studied Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Like He's still doing this. And in doing so, He still ushers us into a response of joyful worship. Right? Any time that you and I are, are caught up in the majesty of Jesus, any time that we, we are... It, enabled to respond to his undeserved mercy and grace in our lives with worship and joy that is the holy spirit in us that is the holy spirit working in our midst he is still pointing us to jesus he is still making us aware of his presence and that finally leads us then to to this third movement which is a a, a spirit-filled purpose a spirit-filled purpose. I, I didn't really go into this uh, today, but there's this moment in, in the story where Gabriel shows up to tell Zechariah, your wife's going to become pregnant. And if, if you've read Luke chapter 1 before, if you're familiar with it, you'll remember that Zechariah is almost kind of like with Gabriel, like, are you sure you're able to pull this off? Like, is this? And Gabriel uh, gets annoyed with Zechariah. He's kind of like, I... I stand in the presence of God, and you're going to be quiet. In fact, he's quiet from that moment until the point in time that, that John is born. He's unable to speak. And so now, in, in Luke 1, John the Baptist is, is born, and Zechariah is finally able to speak, and he tells everybody sort of unexpectedly, because John was not a family name, it was a name given to them by God, that this child's name is going to be John. And then he begins to describe who this child is. This is in uh, the end of Luke 1. This is the passage that we heard with the Advent candle today. Look at verse 67 first. It says, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the third time. 
now that we've seen this phrase. And he prophesied. Now jump down to verse 76. And he says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those with, who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he speaks over his newborn son, this, his son's life purpose. I, I imagine Zechariah holding his son in his hands and looking into his eyes and saying, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord. Notice the purpose here. To prepare His ways. To give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. John's Spirit-filled purpose was to ready God's people. To prepare them. He, he was given the job of, of declaring that salvation had arrived. That the one who, who forgives sins is here. And just as the Holy Spirit makes it His purpose not to point to Himself, but rather to direct us to Jesus, John the Baptist has been filled with the Holy Spirit for this very same purpose. To point the people of Israel to Jesus, to prepare the way. In John's own words, recorded by the Apostle John, in John chapter 3, he words it this way. He says, he must increase, and I must decrease. Right? He, give it to him. Redirect yourself to him. This is not about me, John said. John the Baptist was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit to point people to the arrival of the Messiah. And in Christ, right, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit for what purpose? To point people to Jesus. To acknowledge His presence among us in the here and the now and to ready the people for the day that He is going to come again. Right? We, are, we are a people who live between the Advent. We, we have the benefit of the, the Holy Spirit not only coming on us in moments of intentional purpose by God to advance His covenant, but to exist in us at all times. And He empowers us to declare freedom from sin. Right? The arrival of the Savior and the promise that He is going to return to restore all things. We're a people who are meant to prepare the way. Just as John the Baptist was, the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing amongst us. It's our call and our purpose. Just this week as I was uh, preparing for this sermon and, and thinking through some of this, I got an email from somebody I would, I would call an acquaintance. They, I hadn't seen him in, in years and then recently ran into him and, and um, caught up a little bit and um, we were talking, and he, he sent me an email, and I knew a little bit of his story and history and, and that sort of thing, and the title of the email was just guidance, and, and 
um, my connection to him was, was through another family who had poured into him for probably a decade or more. And uh, in the email, it was simple and it was quick. And he said he was coming back into town and right before Christmas. And he wondered if we might be able to get together. And he said, the, the next line said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I, again, I've known this man for a long time. And, and I thought about this family who had loved him and invested in him, some of whom are, are, have passed away and, and had no idea when this moment was come. But I thought about them and I was like, these were people who prepared the way for, for this person. This is the kind of people we are to be. People who point others to Jesus and say, this is not about me. It's, it's, it's all about him. One of the ways that we experience that together is in the celebration of the Lord's table. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here and um, they're going to lead us. And then in a few moments, I will return and I will take us through the receiving of the elements this morning. If you didn't get those as you walked in, you can raise your hand uh, as the worship team sings. Our ushers will make sure that you uh, get that there. And, um, and if you're new with us this morning, um, I, the Lord's table is, is not about us. It's about him. And so you, if you are in a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to participate with us today. If you're not, if you're still exploring what the church, what faith is about, I, uh, it's absolutely okay. Allow this to be something that you just observe and take in. It, it forms kind of what we believe about who Jesus is and what he's done. And then I will return in, in just a moment and we'll receive the elements together. You know, the Lord's table, it, like the Holy Spirit, it, it, it's intended to redirect us to him, to remind us of his grace and what he has done, to, to cause in us a response of, of joy and worship. When Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this bread is my body given for you. As you take this bread, be reminded of the advancement of his grand redemptive narrative that took him to the cross and ultimately out of an empty grave so that we might find salvation in him. This is the body of Christ. Take and eat in remembrance of him. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant that's been shed for the forgiveness of sin. As we take this cup, be pointed to Jesus. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Before I offer this morning's benediction, if we can pray with you uh, this morning, it's a privilege to do that together. Our prayer team is available.
Uh, if you came prepared to give this morning, our generosity boxes are, are by there. You can um, give towards our general fund, which helps us do our, our day-to-day operations and events such as the live nativity. Um, or if you'd like to give towards Serve the World and towards Hope School, you can do that there as well. Just make sure you designate that gift as, as Serve the World. And now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ who has indwelled in us His Holy Spirit, that we might live with the purpose of pointing people to You, announcing Your salvation, and declaring to prepare a way for Your return. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.